Good morning, Granville Chapel. While some of you are awake, that's awesome. You're just not used to this weather, so you don't know how to deal with it. Or you've not had enough coffee. I'm an atheist until I have two mugs of coffee in the morning, so, so maybe you're still in a state of unbelief and torpor. But great to be here. Grateful for Granville Chapel. Thanks for praying there. Uh, I lead Message Canada, and we are supported missionaries through Granville Chapel, and we're grateful to God, not only for your financial support, your prayer partnership, and some of the friendship and encouragement that helped us get out the starting blocks. Oh, five years ago, I became the national director. Uh, I'm just putting my timer on, because Paul said, you've got 25 minutes. I thought, what a stingy Englishman. I've got 25 minutes, but of course, I reserved the apostolic right to ignore the clock. Okay, no, no worries. So I became the National Director of Message Canada in August the 1st, 2019, and then we had this little matter of a pandemic that disrupted our plans. Got out the starting blocks with a three-year plan, which went in the shredder in the year of our Lord 2020, because you can't execute a three-year plan, and maybe that's what we're being invited into in this journey of the Lord says, for my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts, for my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, so put yourself a little plan in the shredder, thus saith the Lord. So that's what we did. And uh, what's been going on with Message Canada, one of the issues we face in Canada is that evangelists are our endangered and threatened species. They are rare and weird ducks. You have to travel far and wide to find an anointed man or woman who walks in the gift and call and office of the evangelist. So decided what we need to do in response to what the Lord was stirring in our hearts is gather the evangelists. So we did an evangelist summit in November 2019 and gathered about 85 men and women from across Canada, partnership of different groups, including the Luis Palau team, she is now the Global Network of Evangelists, and Dave Jones, Luis Palau's VP of some 47 years or so, said, buddy, if you get 35 at this thing, that'll be a home run in Canada. So I took delight in phoning him when 57 had registered, and uh, we shook hands when 85 showed up, and we had a powerful time. Spirit of God came upon the people there, and people were activated in their calling. I came home late, why? Because I flew Air Canada, and we're not happy till you're not happy. And I sat in the house, the darkened house, had a glass of red wine and said, thank you, Jesus, let's do it again. But we couldn't do it again because of the pandemic. So we had to pivot that most overused word in the English language. So I will put 10 bucks in the swear box for saying pivot. We had to adapt, and we live streamed and maybe trained about a 1,000 leaders uh, through our live stream events to do the work of an evangelist. And we're going to convene in Calgary again with a National Evangelist Summit as part of our ministry called Advance. So we've got this fluorescent, unsubtle, because unsubtle is my love language. The gospel, there is no plan B, and you can check out the URL where Advance is out the starting blocks in Canada as part of Message Canada's ministry, but has become a global phenomenon with about... 5,000 advanced groups in 86 nations on planet Earth. So if you want to find out more about that, I did bring propaganda, because that's what missionaries do when they're on deputation, and there's brochures, and you can sign up for our prayer letter over there. 
We're also involved not only in stirring the pot for evangelism through advance, but deploying downwardly mobile teams of incarnational missionaries who relocate to broken or challenging postal codes in Jesus' name and live in gospel community and invite people into that community and see what God's up to, join him in that, see what Satan's doing, fight that with knuckle dusters, but also with the agenda to bring good news to the poor and bless and elevate the poor. So we have a team in the downtown east side of Vancouver that will shortly celebrate their fifth year as an Eden team with boots on the ground in Canada's seventh poorest postal code. We've got an Eden team in Prince George and our crazy dream that the Lord's dropped into our hearts is to plant 12 Eden teams in the next 10 years in low-income apartments. And we've got the first ones deployed into a gnarly, challenging apartment complex, which is kind of like the League of Nations. And that's part of a micro-church planting strategy. And we've also got an Eden team in Edmonton. So you can find out more about that. I didn't come here to do an infomercial, but I want to give you an update that even during the pandemic, remarkably, or should we be surprised, the Lord has expanded the ministry and added to our team and is opening up doors of opportunity. And we're launching two new ministries in the fall. One is creative mission, a fusion of the arts, and simple, good old-fashioned, anointed gospel proclamation, where our creative ministries coordinator will mentor and mobilize young artists to share their faith, give expression to the love of God through their creative gifts, and to reach their peers. And then in Kelowna, we're working towards our first community grocer, which is kind of a bridge between a food bank and a supermarket, where it's a Jesus-centered club you can join and not only address issues of food security, but share the love of God as well. So I've got 18 minutes left, Paul. Just thought I'd let you know. But if you've got a Bible or an app, if you turn to Romans chapter 15, we'll read a few verses together. They might even magically appear on the screen. Who knows? I've brought a Bible because God breathed a book. He did not barf an app. So I'll be reading from the good book and uh, from Romans chapter 15. Read from verse 14, where the apostle Paul is wrapping up probably the nearest thing to a systematic theology. He's not doing his usual apostolic troubleshooting where he's telling the church in Colossae to dispatch with mystical religion and focus on the supremacy and fullness of Jesus. He's not doing gospel recalibration with the Galatians where they were infected by a bunch of mad legalists who wanted to impose the law of Moses in circumcision and they were thwarted in the pursuit of God's grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. But here, it's more of a systematic, stellar exposition of the gospel. And as we wrap up this book that has changed the world in some respects, the book of Romans that impacted Augustine, impacted Luther, impacted John Wesley, this uptight religious cleric with no assurance of God's acceptance. And someone was mumbling through Luther's preface to the commentary of Romans. Not a good way to start a community group, would I suggest. And he says his heart is strangely warmed. And so this book maybe has changed the world and God has used it to ignite 
gospel movements across the planet through church history. Here, as we pick up the threads, he's done a lot of his masterful gospel exposition, reminding us of what God has accomplished and freely offers for us through Jesus and the power of the Spirit. And he gets a little personal now at Romans 15, verse 14. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. So far, so good. He validates their knowledge, their spiritual vitality, but he says, yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Because of the grace of God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem, All the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia, we're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and faithfulness that you're the God who saves, heals, delivers, and transforms, and the God who speaks. Jesus, we love you, we exalt you, and we thank you that you say the words you speak are spirit and life. So we pray that you would take these moments and minutes and speak into our hearts, draw us close to yourself, give us a revelation of your heart, your plan, and your purpose. So Master, speak. Your children are listening in Jesus' strong name. So here's Paul. As some of us realize, and maybe it's a shock to you, he was a religious bigot. He was a religious terrorist. He was a violent man on a quest to stifle, suffocate, stamp out the primitive Jesus movement. And on one of his campaigns of terror, he was hijacked by Jesus, transformed by the love of God, and he was never the same. Shortly after his conversion, God speaks to a man who received Paul and said, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings 
and the people of Israel. So right, as a brand new follower of Jesus, hijacked by Jesus, filled with the Spirit of God, he's given an assignment. And here we discover years later, he's still on mission. He's still on assignment. He's living out the grand adventure of Spirit-empowered mission. And as we noticed already, he validates these Roman believers who he's been longing to see for several years. And he's got his plan, which maybe he had to put in a shredder, except staples hadn't been invented and shredders hadn't been invented. But he had a plan. And the plan was en route to Spain. He would visit the Romans. He would encourage them. He says in Romans 1, he would want to impart spiritual gifts to them. So he wanted to encourage them in the pursuit of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he also wanted them to partner with him on mission. And he gives them a quick little review of the scope of his ministry from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Now, you probably have no idea where Illyricum is. It's next to Ladner. No, it's not. It's actually in Albania. So maybe his geographical scope of ministry would be 1,000 or 1,100 kilometers, but that's not really of interest here, and that's not the point that Paul's trying to communicate. He's not trying to communicate his travel log. He communicates his faithfulness to the assignment that Jesus had given him, and he also shares, he begins to bear his heart here, what makes him tick. Alan Hirsch said, we have tended to domesticate the gospel and make it into a religious ideology, a tame churchy phenomenon rather than the call of God and the dangerous journey we call discipleship. And Paul's on a dangerous journey and here he reveals what fueled the grand adventure. Firstly, he shares his motive As you were listening, you may have heard him use priestly language. He says, therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. And he wants to offer them up like a priest would offer a sacrifice. But he offers up the fruit of his evangelism as an act of worship. So for Paul, worship was the motive and the goal of mission. Worship's what fueled him on this perilous, adventurous, crazy roller coaster of gospel fruitfulness, spiritual awakening, imprisonment, mistreatment. He's fueled by worship. And first and foremost, the call is not to engage in evangelism, not to engage in mission, not to bless and elevate the poor. The call is to worship and adore the God who redeemed us. And Paul elsewhere says his motive is the love of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, as he talks about his ministry and describes himself as an ambassador for Christ, he says it's the love of Christ that compels us. Or if you grew up on the King Jim and all his merry men version, the love of Christ that constrains us, constraineth me. But here, it's a different motive. It's the glory and honor of God, the exaltation of Jesus, that Jesus is honored as the gospel is proclaimed. Might be familiar with the Moravians, a radical 
missionary movement. And they had a motto and a mantra that the lamb who was slain might receive the fruits of the rewards of his suffering. What are they communicating? That idea, that adoration, worship, the glory of God precedes mission. We see this motive elsewhere operative in the life of the Apostle Paul when he's in Athens in Acts 17 on Mars Hill. And he's surveying the city. And he sees that the city is wholly given over to idolatry. He doesn't marvel at the aesthetics. One commentator said in Athens, there would have been more idols than human beings. So he's not marveling at the aesthetics. Scripture says he's provoked. Why? He's jealous for the glory and honor of God. So he uses priestly language to communicate this idea. Secondly, he uses pioneering language. He's not only a priest, he's a pioneer, and he shares his ambition. is not to build on anyone else's foundation, but to go into unreached territory, to reach unreached people, and share the gospel where Jesus was not known. He's fueled by Jesus' Luke 19.10 mission, where Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So this is in stark contrast to life in Canada today, where that kind of pioneering spirit is rare. And if you find it, it's a glorious anomaly. So we know from the movie Apollo 13 quotes and misquotes that famous line, Houston, we have a problem. Canada, we have a problem. Why? Because we recycle Christians, we shuffle sheep, and we swap saints, and we're content with that status quo. But Paul had something else in mind because Jesus had captured his heart, and that was to penetrate lostness and reach the lost. Linus Morris is a missionary statesman who years ago founded Christian Associates and planted churches in international cities in Europe. And now he's in his 80s and he's mentoring and mobilizing leaders for mission. And he's described the church in North America as excessively believer-centered and insular. And that's the reality. Jim Collins, that great theologian who wrote Good to Great, he said, we need to confront the brutal facts. And if we look in Canada, 85% of Canadian churches have plateaued or declined using the unhelpful metric of numerical growth, decline, attendance, engagement, numerically. So that means 15% are growing. But research hasn't been done, so we can't be definitive. But it seems as if only 2% of Canadian churches that are experiencing numerical growth and expanding their reach are doing through conversions. We celebrate prodigals returning to the Father. We celebrate biological growth when children of Christian parents come to faith in Christ, but God has a different idea. And the Apostle Paul here in Romans says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Then he reveals what his focus is, not only his motive, not only his ambition, but his focus. He's on a grand adventure of 3D mission 
David Watson said, evangelism is the presentation of the claims of Christ in the power of the Spirit to a world in need by a church in love. Michael Green described evangelism in one word, overflow, out of the reservoir of God's grace and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit were swept into God's mission in the world. And Paul would say yes and amen to that. But here he describes three-dimensional mission and the idea that declaration and demonstration, words and actions go together. So he talks about his ministry being what I said, words, works, and wonders. He says, what I have said. So the Gentiles came to surrender to Jesus, came to a life of abandonment and obedience to God through the words that Paul spoke. And in contemporary Canada, we've lost sight of the fact that the simple gospel still remains the power of God. And we need to recapture apostolic confidence in the power of the gospel. Paul at the beginning of Romans says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So here's the strange idea that God's power to transform, heal, deliver, save, forgive, upend disobedient, rebellious, broken men and women is released as the gospel is announced. Paul says in Romans 10 that faith is activated by the proclamation of the gospel. He quotes Isaiah when he says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news. And then he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So there's a word ministry, but there's a ministry of good works. He says the Gentiles were drawn to Christ through what I have done, through a demonstration of the kindness, love, justice, mercy, compassion of God. Jesus said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now I was hearing a preacher once describe his church and he was on a kind of Role. He was getting fired up with his own oratory. And he said, we're not a Mr. Rogers church. We're a mixed martial arts church. So there's a real, there's a real kick butt statement in a Sunday morning where I think he wanted all the men to go, oh, 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 oh. You know, we're a cage fighting church. Join me in the octagon. And then he did a little impersonation of, Mr. Rogers, he didn't have a cardigan and he kind of disparaged Fred Rogers. But I think in Canada today, we need a slew of Fred Rogers Christians who exude the supernatural goodness of Jesus. There's a church in Toronto and their mission statement is to be undeniably good. Now that's not moralism that's being propagated, but the idea that as Jesus gets a hold of our hearts, as we surrender to the Spirit and we follow the God who has made us his workmanship and has prepared good works for us to do in advance, that we will commend people to our master, to our savior, to our rescue, to our healer by the quality of lives that we live. So we need to be people of the word. And whether or not you have a cardigan, God calls us to love our neighbors, to love our neighborhood, and to demonstrate his goodness. And then through the power of wonders, Paul says through 
signs and wonders through supernatural demonstration of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. So Christianity is not a philosophy. Christianity is an encounter with the God of the Bible who still heals the sick, who still shatters demonic bondage, who still raises the dead. But that collides with our Western reductionism and our rationalism. A friend of mine, Pradeep Sutra, he and I were Youth for Christ evangelists back when I had hair. He didn't have hair. He's been bald as long as I've known him, so I've just caught up with him. But he was on a short-term mission to a Muslim region in India. And when he got there, the chief met them and said, my wife is dying. If your Jesus can heal my wife, our whole village will follow your Jesus. If your Jesus does not heal my wife, we will stone you and your team to death. Roll, roll, raggy. So, so there's a, an oh-oh moment right there. What did they do? Well, he's still alive. So God answered the prayer. And it's the same God, Jesus, yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is the same. And he invites us to step out in faith, to take risks, because when we take risks and get out our comfort zone, it creates room for God's empowering presence to not only speak the good news, but to demonstrate the good news through supernatural goodness, being the fragrance of Christ, but also to step out there and invite the God who delivers and heals and transforms and sets free to do so. But Paul attributes all of this to the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So this three-dimensional mission that he proposes, this holistic approach to advancing the kingdom of Jesus, he says, what Christ has accomplished through me, through the power of the Spirit of God. And then at the end of the passage we read, he said, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. So he's not bragging about himself as a wordsmith, as a communicator, as a person who did good deeds and who healed the sick. He points to Jesus. He says, all of this is what Christ accomplished through me, through the power of the Spirit of God. And then he tells the Romans, hey, when I finally get there, I will come to you in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. What's that tell us? Here's a man, here's a person who lived under the anointing and power, leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit. So you've been in a series, Spirit Empowered Mission, and that's how we get out the starting blocks. Jesus invites us to a transforming relationship with him where he becomes our friend, our rescuer, our healer, our guide, our leader. Matthew 4.19, he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Come follow me. What's that? It's an invitation and summons to relationship. And I will make you, I will wreck you, I will change you, I will upend you, and I will draw you into my mission. So all along through scripture, the invitation to encounter God is to encounter the God of mission and to join him in his redemptive purposes in the world. But the New Testament understanding is clear. We can't get out the starting blocks without the power of the Holy Spirit. Wherever you look, the back end of the Gospels, Matthew 28, 
Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. And implicit in there is the idea we can only do so through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. He says, all power, all authority on heaven and earth is given to me. I will never leave you. I'll be with you till the end of the age. So it's implicit there. It's explicit in Mark's gospel, in Mark 16, in the contested ending where Jesus says, go and preach the gospel to every living creature. And then he talks about tongues, about venomous snakes having no effect on you, deadly poison not finishing you off, and laying your hands on the sick and they will recover. So that's explicit, that Jesus wants to empower us for mission. Luke, Dr. Luke is obsessed with the Holy Spirit. His gospel is the gospel of prayer, the gospel of the Holy Spirit. And there Jesus gives us commission in Luke 24, and he says, stick around in Jerusalem till you're clothed with power from on high. And then Acts 1.8, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then they're filled with the Spirit. John's gospel, John gets in on the action, and John records his commission in John 20, where Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, some theologians sit and drink coffee in the afternoon and go, how can we reconcile the Johannine outbreathing of the Holy Spirit in John 20 with the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 2. Hmm, how can we synthesize that pneumatology? It's called adventures in missing the point. The point is we need the Holy Spirit. And the point is we need multiple fresh Holy Spirit encounters if we're going to get out the starting blocks with a life that vaguely resembles Jesus, if we're going to live a life that provokes gospel questions that only the gospel can answer, and if we're going to make a difference and make a mark in the world in post-Christian Canada, we need the Spirit of God. And Luke talks about this, and here Paul, who's filled with the Spirit, Shortly after his conversion in Acts 19 says, I'm going to come, and when I come, I'm going to be walking in the power and fullness and anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to come with a spring in my step because I'm going to walk under a cloudless heaven filled with an unquenched, ungrieved Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus offers you today. So mission isn't an obligation or a duty. It's an overflow out of our life in Christ. And we say, well, my life in Christ is hollow. Here's good news. He wants to fill you afresh. He wants to renew you. He wants to revitalize you. He wants to grace you with his presence in a fresh measure. And here we are with Granville Communities been walking through this study, this series, this teaching on spirit-empowered mission. Jesus is the missionary who says, come follow me. But he says, I don't leave you as orphans. It's to your advantage that I send into heaven. And the disciples are going, boss, what do we do? And he says, don't worry, I've got it covered. And he releases the Holy Spirit. The Father and the Son send the Spirit who descends on them. And today the Spirit can descend on you afresh. Meet you where you're dry and thirsty, inadequate, where you're struggling. Spirit can impart breakthrough and bring a fresh revelation of the love of God so that you can bask in his love, his total forgiveness, his acceptance, and be an agent and conduit of his love. How good is that? And the invitation is to step into three-dimensional mission. Some of us are good with words, some of us are not. That's not the qualification. Some of us are into doing good. Jesus did good, Acts 10, verse 38, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then what about the business of signs and wonders? 
God's the same. And maybe part of what we need to see in post-Christian Canada is a reawakening of the supernatural and a revelation of a Jesus who said, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, know this, the kingdom of God has come upon you. A Jesus who saves, transforms, who loves, who redeems, who delivers. But the invitation is to join the grand adventure. It's a wild roller coaster, scary ride. And you look at Paul's life, it certainly wasn't boring, but it was scary. But he's still going for it, sustained by the Spirit. So why don't we pray? And then we're going to worship and have an opportunity for ministry. But I'd like to pray for us, pray for you this morning. And I'd like to invite you to respond. If I may. And really, what does Jesus want? He wants our availability. That's it. He's not dissuaded by our brokenness and our inadequacy. He's not impressed by our gifts and talents because he gave them to his anywho. But he says, will you give me a blank check? Will you let me write a fresh story in your life, a fresh chapter in the story of God? And will you make yourself available? So I'm going to invite you. If you say, yes, Jesus, I'll give you a blank check. I'm going to invite you to stand as an act of surrender. And then we'd love to pray for you that the Spirit of God would come upon you in a fresh measure. And you'd know something what Paul said, the full blessing of the measure of Christ, the full measure of the blessing of Christ even, and know a fresh touch of the Spirit. So I'd invite you to stand so I might pray for you and say, Lord, here am I. I'm yours. I give you a blank check. I want to follow you on Spirit-empowered mission. Lord Jesus, we love you and we recognize we only love you because you first loved us. And we stand simply as dearly loved, redeemed children of God who declare our full availability to you. We want to be agents of your kingdom. We want to gossip the gospel. We want to announce the good news. We want to be Fred Rogers Christians who exude the grace and kindness and beauty of Jesus. We want to see your demonstration of your power in and through and in spite of us. So here we are, Lord. We surrender to you. And Lord, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come now. Anoint us afresh. Fill us where we're dry and weary to overflowing. Release streams of living water that we might be refreshed, but also that we might be agents of refreshing with those we rub shoulders with. So as we linger in your presence, we say, Lord, we love you. We're all in. Here we are. Pour out your spirit upon us in a fresh measure. Grace us with your presence. Fill us with your love. In your great name, Jesus.